Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Oh, good morning, everybody. Hey, it is so good. I am so grateful uh, to be back together again. Um, we have made it through the end of the semester, almost. Um, but as we are really our second to last chapel um, of the 2020 year, um, we have, looking back, we've gone through so much, been through so much, and I'm really grateful for these last couple of weeks going through this Kingdom Christmas uh, Chapel uh, series and just seeing different ways that people celebrate Christmas, different cultures, different food, uh, different traditions, uh, different songs. Um, and I know you hopefully know me well enough to know now that uh, I, I'm totally a Christmas or Advent junkie. I even found this Northwestern, uh, you know, s- sweater uh, in the dark corner of my closet this morning. And I was like, oh, that's right. I have that. I have to wear that today. So I know I look like a dork, but that's nothing new. So, um, so just, uh, uh, you know, you can bear with me with that. And hopefully this isn't too much of a distraction. Um, but speaking of Christmas trees, I'd like to share with you uh, just a... Something that my family has been doing the last four, uh, four years now, and uh, that every time we go out, we cut down our Christmas tree, we drag it back home, we bring it up into our living room, and we always do a time lapse of, uh, of, of us decorating, going from the bare tree to like the full shebang. So um, I wanted to share that with you, so uh, just uh, take 30 seconds and, and check this out. It should be audio, but that's okay if it doesn't come through. There we go. Okay, there, there it is. Okay, well, you didn't hear that. I had to, I had to provide my own music there. Um, but... Uh, Here's the, here's the thing. Uh, this time-lapse video, it was only 30 seconds long. Um, and the actual time frame that it took us to decorate the tree was over two hours. And while I'd like to tell you that it was just completely pure joy and super fun and easygoing and had no troubles or issues or hang-ups, uh, I would not be telling the truth. And so while it was indeed fun and while we did make some new memories, um, there, there are a couple of moments that I'd maybe like to shed light upon for you just to help you get a bigger picture of the reality of actually what happened. So um, on a lighter note, I don't know if you noticed my son, Bennett, three and a half, that he had um, a Mickey Mouse uh, sweatshirt on, a Batman, homemade Batman cape on, and then at one point he had a, actually had a Santa Claus hat on. So we dubbed him as our, as our Mickey Bat Claus, superhero uh, decorational elf. Um, so th- that, that was pretty fun. Um, on a stinkier note, you probably didn't notice the fact that right in the middle of that, my, my, uh, my daughter had just a huge blowout, just a big dirty diaper that I changed, which I intentionally did outside of the frame, so you're welcome. Um, but it still happened, so that took place. You probably, uh, on a frustrating note, didn't see me actually pull out about a half dozen strings of Christmas lights, unwind them, plug them in, only to find out that they don't work, trying to figure out what lights are we going to actually decorate the Christmas tree with. And then one last note, you probably, uh, I know you didn't hear the audio wasn't there, and obviously it doesn't show up in a time lapse, but you didn't hear the argument and the little fight that my wife and I got into about the lights wrapping around the Christmas tree. And the fact that half of them didn't work, and I was frustrated about that, and she thought we could make two strands work. I'm like, no, we have to have it full. We have to have it three lights. And at one point, I just tossed up my hands. I said, let's just forget it. I'm going to stop the time lapse. I'm going to Target. I'm going to get some new lights. It's about time. And anyway, the whole thing almost completely unraveled and fell apart. 
And uh, while in the middle of my frustration in conflict um, that I held, I felt all of a sudden this convicting sting of the Holy Spirit that while I'm decorating my tree and our house with these lights, I was actually really, to be quite honest with you, I had a mindset and I was dwelling in darkness. And I, it got me thinking about this rich biblical metaphor of light and the ongoing battle against darkness. Um, and my, my point in sharing all this with you is simply this. So while setting up lights just a few weeks ago, I actually found myself dwelling in darkness. I was struck that the sad irony of this moment can actually characterize the whole Christmas season for a lot of people, including Christians. I can be so focused on the decorational aspect of light that I've completely missed the directional aspect that it's supposed to have and what it's supposed to focus my heart and my attention and my worship upon. And it was then that the Lord and his grace brought me back to a familiar yet challenging text of a prophet who wrote about 2,700 years ago at a time of great darkness, national turmoil, communal uncertainty, and social unrest. Look with me at this scene in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says this, but there will be no gloom for, oop, we'll go back. Carly, I told you it's not going to work. Hopefully you're up there. You got that. <laughs> All right, there it is. There it is. Um, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. In the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied. Uh, let me stop right there. So this, 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 this line, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They've been dwelling in deep darkness. On them a light has shone. And it got me thinking about this, this rich uh, biblical metaphor and this dynamic of light and darkness. And we know in the physical realm, light and darkness exist in metaphysical opposition, right? Light as an energy source provides illumination, leading to the ability to make visual distinctions among colors and physical objects. Darkness, on the other hand, is the absence of light and color, whether as a place or condition, which results in disorientation, distortion, and confusion. But spiritually, light and darkness provide a template to understand life in God's kingdom and all the other kingdoms that are in opposition to it. But yet this combat and this, 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 this battle against light and darkness, it's not an equal battle. So the Bible does not set up that light and darkness are two equal uh, uh, spiritual forces that are duking it out in the cosmic and in the heavenly realms. Light will always overcome the darkness. For example, how many of you did you when, you, when you walk into a dark room, or maybe this morning when you woke up and you flicked the light switch to on, there wasn't an argument. Darkness wasn't like, hold on, hold on, no, 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 no. No, the light turned on and boom, darkness is dispelled. It's fleet. And so light will always overcome the darkness. But in the Bible, light frequently indicates people or things that are righteous and pure, godly, good. Darkness indicates the opposite, wickedness, impurity, immorality, and evil. Light is associated with life, especially a life and a blessing and a prosperity. Darkness associated with suffering, death, and decay. But light frequently symbolizes 
an attribute of God and his glory. That throughout the whole Old Testament, light is regularly associated with God and his word, with salvation, with goodness, with truth, with life. And the New Testament resonates with these themes so that the holiness of God is that, is that God lives in 1 Timothy 6, 16. He lives in unapproachable light. That God is light and the father of lights who dispels darkness. So when Isaiah says that the people who walked in great darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them a light has shown, what is he getting at? Well, ultimately he's making one of the over 350 messianic prophecies that direct us to the coming king. He is shedding light on the trajectory of the whole Old Testament, which could be summed up in this theme and in this message, that Christmas is coming. In fact, the fulfillment of this particular prophecy, of these lines we just read in Isaiah, actually provides the backdrop for the journey that we've been walking through this whole semester of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew picks this up in Matthew 4, 12, and it says, Now, when he heard that John, Jesus, had, when he heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in a region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this light that Isaiah prophesies about is none other than Jesus himself. And while we know this, I want to just acknowledge the fact how easy it is to forget. And I want to remind us of just the rich uh, biblical metaphor of light and how Jesus, we're just saying it, light of the world. And in typical Northwestern fashion, how we love acronyms around here, I couldn't help to have my mind drift towards outlining the word light to give us so the reality of how light interacts, dispels, confronts, and overcomes darkness. And so here, just uh, look with me here about this light acronym, the first one is that light is the idea of the light, uh, is the light of Christ. That we think of, think, of, think of light, we think of life. That the light of Christ's life overcomes the darkness of our death. That God did not send Jesus into the world to make bad people good. He sent Jesus into the world to make dead people live. And, and we read this, that in John 1, 4, it was alluded to earlier, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That through the word of God, light came into existence back in Genesis 1, and through the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, the word brought light and life into humanity. So those responding to the light are ushered into the sphere of life in which darkness is dispelled we call this salvation, brings light to those who are in dark, darkness. Light possesses powers essential to true life. So to be in the light means simply to truly live, both in the eternal life and in the temporal. And this leads to the second aspect. Oh, I'll have you, you can, you can, you can keep going, I'm, this thing's not working. The second one is integrity. That the light of Christ's integrity confronts the darkness of our idolatry. 
That Jesus didn't, it wasn't sent into the world. God didn't send a perfect argument into the world. He sent a perfect person. One who is full of integrity. In other words, the one who had zero hypocrisy. The one who's, whose life and what, they, what he declared and what he demonstrated all worked together. All the pieces fit together. There was no duplicity. There was no division. And, and Jesus enters into, the world, enters into the world as one who is full of integrity. James 1, 16 and 7 says, Do not perceive, my beloved brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And this is the judgment, John 3, 19 says, The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The next one is, you think of the, the, the G of light. Think of goodness, the light of goodness. That the light of Christ's goodness destroys the works of darkness. I love 1 John 3, 8. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And in fact, sometimes the brightness of God's goodness shines the most radiant amongst the backdrop of dark and difficult circumstances. I love that Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Next is hope, that the light of Christ's hope dwells, dispels the darkness of our despair. See, the prophetic word of God is what brings hope of the, of, of, of the light yet to come. Peter provides an appropriate admonition. He says this in 2 Peter 1.19, you will do well to pay attention to it, the, the word of God, as to a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, that at the future appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, all darkness will be dispelled and believers will walk in purity, peace, and joy in the light of the living God. And then lastly, almost to the T, is truth. Often in Scripture, light conveys what is true. And we see here that the light of Christ's truth sets us free from the darkness of deception. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, which is truth, you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if I may, I'll add one more. If you think about light, think about lights and the lights that we see even this holiday season. You think about this, this, this letter of S of lights, that the light of Christ brings sight to the darkness of blindness. I love Psalm 27.1. It personalizes it. It doesn't just say God is a light. It says the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In other words, if I say the Lord is my light, it means the Lord is my sight. He's the one who gives me my perspective. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said that the Christianity is like the sun. Not only do I see it and feel its warmth, but it's by it that I see everything else. And so we see, I love uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, bringing sight to blindness. It says that the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. But yet for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask us this morning in light of all of this, of the true 
nature of what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world, we see that his light was not simply decorational. It wasn't just to say, look at Jesus. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he marvelous? And as that is true, and as Jesus attracted crowds to him, and they were almost, they were astonished. They were in awe of him. They were even entertained by what he could do. That's not the point of the light. The light's not meant to be decorational. It's meant to be directional. And this brings us back to our, our passage in Isaiah 9. What is the direction of this light shining in the people of dwell of darkness? We see in Isaiah 9, 3, we read it this way, that he has multiplied the nation. You have, he has increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So this idea that there's an increasing joy and gladness, that there's a multiplying and a prospering of God's people. And Isaiah writing to a people who had been exiled and who had been carried away from their homes, he's saying that there's actually joy. This light points us to a coming joy and a coming uh, multiplication, a prospering of God's people, a renewing of God's people. Next, oppression is overcome. It points us in the direction that oppression is overcome. He says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. That Jesus is going to enter into battle in the most unique, in the most humble way that as a child, and in a way where it seems like all odds are stacked against him. But yet, the, like, the, like the kingdom of God that begins as a mustard seed will, be, will die, it'll be planted, but yet when it's grown, when it's fully matured, it'll tower above and be greater than all other kingdoms. We see that next, that violence and war cease in verse 5. Every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned for, as fuel for the fire. That, that all violence and all uh, wars and all unrest will cease. And then, and, and then, and then lastly, that verse, in, verses, in verse 7, it says, The works of justice and righteousness uh, it, it shines forth towards God's kingdom that is eternal with no end. He says, over the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And all of this, all of us at the very center is verse six. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. This one whose name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So if Jesus is the light of the world, what does that make us? What does that make you? What does that make me? Well, the scripture uh, pulls no punches here. It pulls out all the stops and it tells us this, this amazing reality that we, that you, that I, because of Jesus being the light of the world, we don't have light in ourselves, but because Jesus dwells in you and I, the spirit of Christ living and dwelling through a revived church is the light of the world. Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, for you are, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Or perhaps a little more familiar in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, for you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. No one is lights a, lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to all in the house. Therefore, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven.
So in closing, every time this Christmas season you see lights, whether it's on a tree, whether it's on a house, remember the light of Christ's life, of his integrity, of his goodness, of his hope and truth, and join him, our king, with humility and zeal to push back darkness and shine the way of abundant life in the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to continue in worship as we hear a couple testimonies through video and sing one final song. Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you, being the light of the world, that you have shown in our hearts that we would see the light of the glory of the gospel of grace in the face of you, Jesus. And I pray for every single person, those that are dwelling in death, that your light would shine in. Those that are dwelling in idolatry, that your light uh, of integrity would shine in. Those that are, that are dwelling in, in, in works of darkness, that your goodness would shine in and dispel that darkness. Those that are dwelling within despair and, 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 and discouragement, God, that your hope would shine in. Those that are dwelling in deception and distraction, that your truth would shine in and bring freedom. And Lord, yeah, I pray that, that, that your light truly would be our sight, that you would help us to see this world and this season and ourselves and our, in, in your kingdom through your eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Angie Witzman. I'm a senior here at Northwestern, and I'm on the worship team. I'm a singer. My favorite family Christmas tradition is putting up the ornaments on our Christmas tree. We have a lot of ornaments, and a lot of them have really cool stories made by my great-grandmother, my grandmother, so it's fun to go through all the family memories and to put them on the Christmas tree and remember the reason for the season and the family that I get to be so thankful for. Yeah, I think that my family is one of the biggest reasons why I am the person that I am today. And so one of the reasons that I see God's love is in the way that I see people love me and the way that I see, um, or the way that I give love to people. And so God's love really shines through my family. And I think that that's a big reason for the season and it's why it's important to me.